this. He's the Saber Advisors Audio Experience. Morning, how are you? I am well. I am well. How are you? I'm good. Good to uh, see you, I guess. Ish, yeah. Ish. You saw me yesterday. I did. Something like that. You were busy yesterday, though. Yeah, I was bumping around. What else is new? Yeah, for me, it's like, if I'm not on an airplane, I'm not moving. Yeah. (laughs) I am like... I am there. I could use a little of that. I I actually very much don't like the whole running around thing. That's it's kind of like commuting. It's like well, it's just very. (laughs) It's just inefficient. You know, it's like yeah, it's like commuting. It's I mean, it's not as bad as commuting because you're ostensibly going to something purposeful, but nonetheless, it's just time in the car that. It's less. It's less and less. It's harder and harder to make that time useful. Like it used to be, yeah, yeah ten years ago, because you called everybody. That a three-hour drive across the state was like cool. I'm going to catch up on my list of people to call. Now I get in the car. I'm like, I don't have that many people to call. <laughs> I get in the car and I'm like, I want ten minutes to myself. Well, then you <laughs> have that that too. I I also have yeah a little bit different situation. Uh, I have no small children running around pulling on my <laughs> pant leg all day. So, Catch up on podcasts or whatever else. Yeah, I uh, so, it was it was good yesterday. We uh, I was in the Jersey office for a bit, then had a meeting in Brooklyn, then had to head down to Bell Works, and then back up again. So it was a lot of windshield time, unfortunately. Got it. Well, I'm pretty sure people are not tuning in to hear about uh, what, uh, what we like to do with our day minute by minute. I don't know. Maybe speak for yourself, Doug. I was going to say, that wasn't the plan. Uh, maybe we could spend an hour talking in minutia about our daily schedules, but, um, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to err on the side of no, and uh, I'll kick us off here, but then I'm going to quickly throw this to you guys since I think, uh, I am not the expert in today's topic, but uh, nonetheless, it is 9 o'clock on <laughs> Wednesday morning, and you know what time it is. It is time for the Sabre Advisors This Week in Retail. On This Week in Retail, we talk about all things in and around retail. Uh, we will talk about some macro subjects, sometimes some micro subjects. Last week, we talked about alternative ways of funding real estate projects. Uh, and uh, this week we will be talking about cannabis, which, uh, of course, is an enormous topic with more to cover than we could ever hope to in an hour. Uh, but nonetheless, we will take a crack at it. Uh, some housekeeping. This room is being recorded. We are content creators and we are creating content. Uh, you will be able to find this week in retail on the Saber Audio Experience uh, not long after we finish uh, recording here today. Uh, and you can find that anywhere where you like to find your podcasts. And if you do come up and speak, because we certainly uh, encourage uh, you to do that and hope that you do that uh, by coming up on stage, you are consenting to be recorded. Uh, and so uh, just uh, please be aware of that. So without further ado, uh, we are going to talk about cannabis today. And good morning, Sierra, as well. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the party. Uh and as I promised, I am going to take a step back and toss this. Uh, I think my toss it to Justin or to Russell. Who's who's going to lose? Yeah, I'll, here? 
I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, right, just a reminder, up. because we are recording, if you're talking about cannabis, let's let's be super sketchy about it so that no one knows what's happening. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, this is something for me that um, I, I just feel so bullish on over the next couple of years. And um, I, I think it's always been a little bit of a touchy subject for some reason. And, and I think sort of the decriminalization um, of, of marijuana and all of that stuff is, is obviously the, the core of that. Um, but just as a you know person involved in retail real estate, I feel like over the last couple of years in our markets, and, and when I'm saying that, I'm talking about home markets like, like New York, New Jersey, uh, things have changed drastically, and we've seen some of the impact that that's had in some of the other uh, markets across the country where it's been legalized. And um, I just wanted to dive in and, and get some feedback. And anyone that's uh, you know out there in the audience, uh, at any point, please feel free to jump in. Um, tell us kind of about your experiences in your local market, statewide, kind of where things are at, um, because I think all of that's really interesting. Um, this is one of those things that that area by area, um, you know, state by state changes pretty drastically. So uh, all that being said, um, to give a little background. Um, so medical marijuana use has been legal in New York and New Jersey for, I don't know, years at this point. A um, couple of years ago, uh, it had been floated out to, to go recreational as well. Um, the state at that point also issued a, a, a number of additional licenses for medicinal use. And um, it's something that uh, really changed uh, kind of the landscape of, of folks out there and looking. I mean, the amount of concepts that were CBD only or medicinal that started trying to gobble up real estate. And I know by us specifically, one of the things that's very interesting is in order for someone to get a license, they have to have the real estate locked up. So you almost have to go out and get the, the lease or the purchase on spec with the anticipation that you're going to get a license um, and create a lot of really creative ways of getting out of that deal if something falls apart. Uh, and on the landlord or seller side, one thing that's been really interesting is a lot of these folks have been um, requiring significant security deposits to the tune of six months to a year uh, or, uh, you know, if you're a seller requiring a significant amount of hard money. Uh, in order to even engage in these conversations. So, um, you know, with that being said, I, I, I wanted to, I think I, I should mention the fact that as well, recreational has now been legalized in both New York and New Jersey. And what's very interesting about that is it's now legal, but we don't really have regulations on where dispensaries can be, what they can do, how far they need to be from other uses and that kind of thing. So everyone's kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for the game to start and people are already out there getting real estate in hopes that they're going to make the right decision. So Russ, I wanted to kind of kick this over to you a little bit. I know it's something we've talked about kind of extensively. Um, what, what do you got? Well, I, I'm actually working on a, a cannabis deal right now. Um, and some things that I saw that I think are, are interesting and also just in general about cannabis, I think right now it's, I've seen a lot of activity on listings, um, from cannabis users, uh, the few that still have licenses available, at least in our market. And when I speak to the brokers about it, who, you know, these are publicly traded large companies, um, 
they, you know, they're looking to just plant the flag and with the, with the hopes that when recreational is being able to be distributed, they're already in place in high traffic locations to kind of pick up that business. You know, the one I'm working on, it's a very high profile location, one of our better retail, but there's another cannabis uh, location or cannabis dispensary literally down the street but their license allows them to go a certain distance away from that one. And where the existing one is super high profile, like directly across the street from a you know class A mall. And then this one that I represent is also, you know, within spitting distance uh, to a, you know, a class A Simon owned property. And they were very aggressive on their, on their deal structure. Uh, you know, I was pretty, pretty impressed. I mean, they, they, offered basically close to the asking price in, in rent. They asked for minimal, minimal work, uh, if at all, you know, they requested some TA, which wasn't a crazy TA requirement, but the thing that got me that I thought was the most unique was that they were willing to pay option rent, basically like option on a contract. So they'll, they'll go through and they'll sign a lease, which is contingent on them getting their approval to distribute cannabis out of the location. Uh, however, in the interim, while they're going through that six to 12 to 18 month process to get that locked in, they're willing to pay rent that's non-refundable even before they're open. Um, and a considerable amount, I think what they had offered just out of the gate was like 10,000 a month and dark rent that they're going to be paying while they're going through the process so that the landlord has less concerns about you know the time it's going to take to get the entitlements done uh and and more motivate them to agree to the deal i mean we went back at a higher option rent but still it, it, i just thought that having a deal structure that right out of the gate they're offering it is pretty unique um and again and i think it's just unique from the perspective of we do a lot of ground up development deals with you know tenants from you know, every fast food guy in the world and it could take 2 years to get an approval but those guys aren't offering option rent to the landlord but a cannabis guy who you know doesn't have any stores in the market but you know has public backing behind him and some type on one of the, the i think they're on the canadian stock market uh, I was willing to do it. And I just thought it was very, very interesting that there, as a, if they paid what we were asking for on option rent, I mean, it's almost more than the rent for the, for the actual rent, what we're asking for. So I just think that it's a super interesting deal structure. Well, they have, you know, they have to, it's a land grab, you know, like no other. And, you know, the valuations for the, you know, for the companies. Um, are so heavily influenced by the number of retail outlets that they can get um, that, like, yeah, I mean, literally, they'll pay just about anything. Uh, yeah, I guess because you know the sale. We don't know what the sales will be, but they can estimate, I guess, what the sales will be. And you know, you look at just like the the, uh, the dispensary I went to in um, Vegas, that Planet Thirteen or whatever it's called. They have one store. They're publicly traded. They do like hundreds of millions of dollars in sales out of. A store, one. I mean, it's just. And but that's not. But then take it the next step further. It's not. It's a hundred million in sales, then multiplied by a multiple, for whatever. Whether you're public or you're just going to do a you know Series B or C or D fundraise. So it's it's an it's a you know some X times number of that volume. You know which. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's yeah. a gold rush, right? There is. Yeah. It's it's like silicon. It's like. Uh, 
the 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 dot com bubble. It's just like they'll pay anything. Doesn't matter. Just let me in. Right? It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly. We uh we have Garrett here who jumped up on stage. I wanted to say, you know, Garrett, uh, what's going on this morning? How are you? Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to to talk about this real quick. I know I'm in rural Arkansas, but we've uh we've been working on this and we've been um in the medical marijuana game for probably five or six years. Um, I did the first, I guess you'd say medical marijuana clinic in the state, probably five or six years ago before anybody else was really doing it with this doctor that he was an ER doc in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, he was ahead of the game. He separated himself from his practice. He moved to Jonesboro. We're about 80,000 people really rural compared to where a lot of you guys are and decided he wanted to, to uh, go in real heavy on this. He quit doing the ER stuff, quit seeing patients, opened up an office probably two or three years prior to any of these cards ever being handed out for people getting these medical marijuana cards, lease space, 5,000 square feet and just to be ready for it before everybody else. And when all this stuff hit, you know, it became a, a really big ordeal statewide. Um, when all of it hit, it went crazy. But the way that it works here, the, the, the state only allowed, <clears throat> and it may be the same everywhere else, but the state only allowed so many dispensaries. You can have as many clinics as you want to in a city, in a, in a county, in a state, but you can only have so many dispensaries and you can only have so many facilities, grow facilities in the entire state. And so right now there's only, I was looking it up as you guys were talking, there are, I think, plus or minus 30 dispensaries, 33 dispensaries. And as of basically, says June 3rd to, of last year to June 8th of this year, um, it shows, and this is in rural Arkansas, $330 million have been spent on 77,000 active patient cards. Um, wow. Man, it's just, it's going, it just go, it's just going crazy. It's about, let's see, plus or minus 50 to 70,000 pounds a week are sold in the state of Arkansas. Wow. And, 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 and it, it is, it's a ton. And so what these guys like to kind of back up a little bit to get prepared for all of this. So these guys, none of these guys really, I wouldn't say none of them, most of them own their own facilities and being in rural Arkansas. So what they did was they aren't allowing any of these growth facilities, of course, in what we call metropolitan areas and the bigger cities or close to the bigger cities. So they're going out into the rural cities where it's really inexpensive to, to buy dirt. And since it's such a big deal, you know, infrastructure wise, you know, they have to build the buildings. They have to put up, you know, fence with barbed wire. They have to have all of this different security around it at all times. It's all got to be completely secured, always monitored. Um, it's just it's it's expensive to put it even in a rural area for here where land in a very rural town is almost, you can almost get it for nothing. Um, it still is taking very wealthy people here. Remember, we've got 
you know, people that own Walmart, Tyson Chicken, you know, all these different people that own these large companies here that are, you know, fraction owners of these different companies that are a part of this. Each one of these these companies that are that are owning these grow facilities, you probably got 10 to 20 people that are a part of these ownership groups. Which, and when you're talking about the expense of all of this, and obviously if you've got, you know, really deep pockets, like some of those folks do, um, you know, it makes things easier, but that's, that's really who seems to be controlling everything to date are really wealthy individuals because, you know, obviously with federal funding being an issue and, and no, uh, FDIC insured banks being able to lend money for anything like this, it, it becomes a really difficult proposition to spend the amount of money that's necessary to build the facilities. And you're talking about the growth facility, you're talking about transportation and distribution, you're talking about the dispensary, you're talking about potentially clinics and other things for, for the medicinal purposes. I mean, the the expense in doing all of this is so high, not to mention we we were just talking about structures in a land grab situation where, you know, you're willing to pay uh, asking rent or above asking rent or overpay for a property and put up a lot of hard money and risk, you know, not getting that back because, you know, ultimately, um, you know, if it succeeds, it will pay off. And it's, you know, that really high risk, high reward scenario. But the, the question really in my mind is like, when does the, the federal mindset change? And not that, you know, cannabis in general needs to be federally legal, but when will it be that those, you know, federal institutions or those uh, FDIC insured banks are able to lend money for things like this to really open it up? You know, here's the other thing that the all of these are really cash businesses, which makes it quite frankly, a little bit more dangerous. Right. You know, if this was a, a credit card business and you can kind of track everything and they keep minimal cash on site, it, it's it's a lot safer for the employees. There's a lot less risk of, um, you know, any kind of uh, robbery or, or, you know, issues like that. The cash business aspect makes it a little bit scarier. So how soon you know, do people think that that will change? Will it change? How does this get away from where it is today? And I, I should add, you know, I'm seeing a lot of um, these groups starting to accept like cryptocurrency uh, and other forms of online payment because, you know, people don't really carry cash in the same way. So um, I don't know, Sierra, Natalie, Garrett, Russ, Doug, any of you guys uh, have feelings on any of that? I don't think that from... From what I've, you know, the, the folks that I've talked to, honestly, you know, on the front end, like you're talking about with these FDIC banks, there was a monster problem because, you know, as you were talking about, no one had any clue that they were going to run into that. All these guys, as they were trying to assemble these groups, they had no clue that they were about to run into these banks that weren't going to give them a penny. Um, or these guys that were going to start leasing space for these clinics, they weren't going to be able to be given up a penny on, on any of this. And the, the same thing for landlords. I mean, the landlords, they, um, when they would go to get money for a finish out, the banks aren't giving them money whenever they ask them for, you know, what the tenants uses are. So that was a huge hurdle for a lot of these folks to, to overcome. 
but going to the retail side of this, when people are coming in to buy and, and, you know, get the medical marijuana or whatnot, honestly, I haven't had any of these guys locally. And this may just be an Arkansas thing. I don't, I don't know. It shouldn't, you know, matter, I guess, where you are. I haven't had heard any problems of them, you know, trying to overcome a, a money issue, whether, you know, on, on how they're paying for this stuff. Yeah, you, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. No, you. Um, I was just going to say, I think a lot of that just comes down to, you know, the people who seem to be investing. And, and I'll, I'm going to paint a picture for a second that is certainly not the only one that I've seen, but most of the groups that we've talked to on either the landlord side when we're, you know, leasing space and, and we're either actively searching for or uh, folks come to us or quite frankly on the tenant side where people reach out and say hey you know here's here's what we're doing can you help us I, I'm it's sort of um, it follows a pattern and the pattern is the there are folks involved in the business who really specialize in cannabis and I, I hate the stereotype but a lot of those folks are very much um, you know, not necessarily the, the pothead mindset, but, you know, they're very much about the plants and the, you know, it, it's, they're, they're like, they've got like that farmer mentality. Um, there are people then that are, you know, operating the business and sometimes they're the money behind it and sometimes they're not, but they're more the business people and they're handling all of the difficulty of getting the licenses and negotiating the leases and all of those things. And then sometimes there's kind of that quiet money that sits in the background that are just, you know, silent investors. And for the most part, it's all three of those groups. And it seems to be almost everyone we've talked to has kind of followed that pattern with a couple of exceptions. Um, and, and I just think it's interesting. The, the business people, and the money, and so we'll call that kind of buckets two and three, all of them are very serious, very experienced, you know, uh, very impressive people in their own right. And most of them have multiple businesses or at least, you know, one or two really successful entrepreneurial endeavors that they've done in the past. And these are people that are going out there and spending a lot of money and taking chances. And they know basically what the fuck they're doing. And it, you, you don't necessarily associate that with, you know, a, a cannabis use. But the reality is it's like that iceberg, right? What you're seeing at the tip are kind of the people that are very involved in the cultivation and sale of the cannabis itself. But everything that lies underneath and behind it is very serious and very well thought out and very uh, impressive. So that's that's kind of the way that I've, I've seen all of these things happen. I don't, I don't know if that's kind of everyone else's experience as well. I guess the answer is no. Apparently I would not. say on the back end of that, Justin, <laughs> um, I was in with here in Arkansas, I was in on the front end of the medical marijuana craze, I guess you would call it. And it was before all of these, um, I guess you would call it sophisticated, medical marijuana folks started coming in and, and the ones that did start coming in that were, you know, these larger groups, I noticed that most of them came from the West coast. A lot of them were coming from Arizona. Um, a lot of them coming from, from Vegas. 
and a couple of them from Oklahoma. But those guys were sophisticated. They knew what they were doing. Um, but besides those coming in probably a year after the craze, and I don't know if that's even the right word to use, but after the craze hit, everyone else was trying to just get in on the action, I guess you would say. Um, they were just trying to piece it together as they went. And so was everyone else. And you had a lot of those people that were just trying, they were, they had a ton of cash and they were just trying to get in on it and want to take the risk. And I'm sure, you know, three years, four years, flash forward now, there's a whole lot more of those sophisticated people out there in this industry as it's grown. But on the front end of it here in Arkansas, they were just trying to get in on, on whatever they could. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, Oh, sorry, Justin. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's not, um, you know, too different from the way Florida kind of unveiled all of this stuff. Um, it was back in, I think it was like 2014 when Florida first passed like CBD being okay. And it wasn't until 2018 where actually medical was approved in Florida. And Florida is a very conservative state, like overall. So it was always a really hard thing to get passed. But in 2018, it passed with like 70% approval, which I was very surprised <laughs> with Florida. <laughs> Usually a little behind the curve with the stuff. Um, and we had it up for vote in 2020 to make it recreational in Florida, and it was not passed. So it's been kind of interesting of the pushback. And there's only something like 14 different growers in Florida. Like it's such a monopoly and it's so hard to get into. Um, that it's kind of crazy. And the only ones that you see are like True Leave and Satura, which is now Parallel and Mad Men. And I think two or three other brands are the only ones. Like it's such a barrier to entry. It's kind of interesting how it's all played out. I was hoping that someone in the audience uh, could kind of lend their input being in a state where, you know, recreational is legal and kind of seeing how that's played out. Um, I know, I know Jean is, but she's unable to speak at the moment. So uh, I didn't, I don't really, it doesn't seem like anyone else is, but there's, um, I think from the folks that I've talked to, um, it's kind of spurred all of these cottage industries around it, right? So, um, you know, the marketing side and the PR side and the, the, the real estate side of this, and then um, all of the other um, kind of things that, that, you know, go into, if you think about like liquor stores and the distribution and all of the stuff that we, you know, just take for granted at this point, um, there's been a, a pretty amazing uh, opportunity for growth, I think, in a lot of these states. But, you know, as as Natalie was saying, it seems to be controlled by a small group of folks, and that has a lot to do with licensing. I would imagine that over time, as things become more normalized, um, that group will, you know, obviously expand and, and more folks with licenses and a, a more diverse group of licenses. But the reality is it's, it's those folks that are already in at the ground floor are light years ahead. And it goes back to the initial part of the conversation. They're willing to spend so much money right now to get in first and be the first because they will be, you know, head and shoulders 
uh, above everyone else as as things start to open up. And that's again, even in states when things you know aren't really open for recreational, um, you know, they are, as Russell said, sort of planting that flag and establishing a position and boxing everyone else out so that when things uh, do turn in their favor, they'll be ready. Um, and it's 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 in certain areas of the country, obviously a little bit more on the coast, but this will at a certain point probably uh, be legalized across the country. And, um, you know, those groups that have taken these steps now will, will um, obviously significantly financially uh, benefit from that. Uh, Armando, you jumped up. Um, anything to uh, to add? Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, I, I don't have too much on the real estate side of it specifically, um, but a friend of mine that I grew up with is opening up one uh, <clears throat> for August 1st, I believe they're supposed to be open in Massachusetts, and they were just, uh, they just okayed delivery in Massachusetts. Um, so I know that that's you know, like another part of this whole ordeal. And uh, he, uh, he's actually a teacher um, and teaches at um, UMass. And uh, I believe it was like 1.5 million, I think he has into opening this store um, uh, and stuff. I don't know. Any of that information helps. Yeah. Massachusetts has been a really, um, a really interesting example in, in my point of view, because in sort of the Northeast, uh, they've been on the forefront of a lot of this and, because they have a major city like Boston, you've you've seen uh, a lot more money, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, flowing up there. And even a lot of folks from New York City um, initiating and operating businesses up there in and around the cannabis industry um, because, you know, it's a quick drive away. So it's um, it's been... I know some folks who are involved on the marketing side and literally they spend their entire day handling, you know, uh, social media and digital marketing for groups that, um, are dispensing cannabis or involved in the cannabis industry. And that's all they do. Um, so that's a, that's a full-time job, uh, that supports a company of, you know, eight plus people. Um, and if you just think about, and that's really primarily just the state of Massachusetts. Um, so it's, it's blown up pretty significantly. Um, that's really interesting, Justin. I don't know if anyone. I think yeah. it was Should we make like. A field trip? <laughs> Let's go. I'm always down for traveling. <laughs> Let's go. But it is a great point because I think, uh, like a year after it was medical was legal in Florida, it was already up to like a thousand jobs related to the industry. And you're right, it's all the different, you know, spokes on the wheel related to it um, that we don't really think about, and. Even a year after it was legalized in 2019, sales were up to sales were about just under 300 million the first year, which is insane. And then the next year, you know, after those 1,000 jobs and everything was more established, the sales were something like 520 million dollars, um, which is just an insane amount of money that my brain can't comprehend. But that's the industry. Like that's what we're talking about. How insane is that? So I think Armando yeah, had mentioned uh, something that I think is is really interesting that we can talk about in that Massachusetts instituted delivery, right? And I know that it's they have delivery out in California and there may be in some other states as well. And uh, you know, what do you guys think about you know is deliver is delivery 
a threat to the brick and mortar stores or is it just an additional um, you know, complementary mode of delivery in an overall, you know, massive growing market? You know, is there enough to go around? What are the thoughts up here? I mean, I think it's, they go hand in hand, right? Like sometimes you want to go to the pizzeria and buy your pizza, but sometimes you want to deliver it to your house, right? So I think it's, well said. Well, you know, let, let me let me put it this let me put it this way. I mean, and Russ, correct me if I'm wrong, but anyone who's ever lived in New York City or has friends in New York City, they all get their weed delivered now, way before it was legal. So, um, I I, I can imagine all of those folks are happy to continue that trend and not have to, you know, leave their house. But, you know, obviously sometimes you want to go in and check out new products, et cetera. Um, yeah. Again, I, I've been to the, this, like I said earlier, like I've been to that planet 13, it's an experience, right? It's super cool. And I was like blown away by the whole, the, the, the everything yeah, about how, it. Was just how like, different, how different is planet 13 versus like the 1200 square foot shady dispensary too i mean i don't know so then i've also been to i've also been to like the med men on robertson in la which is also like a pretty big really nice flagship store right again it was i wanted to check it out you know we're in the heart of la and what does like a high-end dispensary look like so again that's one experience where you go in and you're kind of just browsing the aisles but then on the flip side is let's say you're an avid cannabis user you're high as fuck let's just say how it is i'm just gonna call <laughs> my guy and be like let me let me get some more you know and they come and deliver it from MedMen. that's you know that way also takes out the whole driving a while impaired right so you know it's just you're trying to keep the party going maybe and now you just get it delivered to your house that's so that's i think it just it has they both have a place in the world that's my take yeah well, there's, still, there's also okay. a there's an opportunity to avoid the stigma too, by getting it delivered and not look, I, I think the stigma still exists. And I think, you know, my personal opinion is it's silly, but there is still that stigma. So walking into a store and maybe folks are afraid to be seen doing that is a very different experience than, you know, having it quietly delivered to your door. Well, yeah, well, I, I agree. Cause like going into, again, for me, going into these stores, it's like, Am I going to get in trouble for going in here? Right? But no, you're not. And it's but some people might just not be willing to rip the bandit off and try it. So I think you're right. And also maybe, you know, if it's that's when I'm, you know, in Vegas, it's like you're not or in L.A. and I'm on vacation. But maybe you're at your apartment in the city and the dispensary is down the street. You don't want to see you. Maybe uh, you don't want your friends seeing you walking in to go buy it, you know. Uh, a joint or something. I, so you're probably right. Why wouldn't you want your friends to see you? I mean, I don't care, but I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not a good example of this. I don't, I don't care about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I do. I do love, you know, uh, yeah, the, it, it's so transportable. The delivery thing is like so much easier, right? You know, it's like, imagine, you know, the stock that you can have in the trunk of your car, uh, you know, if, if arranged properly is pretty staggering. I mean, you really could, can cram a, a hell of a selection, I would think. You know what else I thought was a really interesting thing that, that they were doing and that MedMen was doing it. So, like, when I went, I, like, I signed up for their mailing list. So, like, I get emails from MedMen all the time. And they were doing something where 
if you were flying it, and maybe they just targeted people that were out of state that signed up for their for their mailing list. Um, but I get emails that they have transport from the airport. Well, they'll pick you up when you land and take you right to the dispensary, which I mean, <laughs> forget the casino. <laughs> we're going to the dispensary. Oh, yeah, and that, that was in that's in L.A., Doug. That's not even. Oh, in L.A. Oh, that's that's in, LA. in L.A. So it's like we'll pick you up from LAX. I was like. What? Like that's insane. Might be just a good way to get a free ride. <laughs> As you say, you you know you, you you pick the one that's near your hotel and you skip the Uber. Exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's hard rather, to come by I'd these rather, days in LA. Actually, I'd rather spend eighty bucks on edibles than on an Uber. Exactly. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's. <laughs> I think we all do. Thinking, uh, <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah, one's annoying and one's fun, so and it gets you to the same place. So I'm into it. <laughs> Might as yeah, well. well. Well said. Well said. Um, yeah. So yeah. Then uh, yeah. I guess you probably don't put like the you know like the pizza delivery thing on your roof if you're if you're in the delivery business. So is is my guess. You probably want to be a little no. I, well, that's the other discreet, thing. So, like, right? Using MedMen as an example, I think MedMen was just because they were like the first really polished, in my opinion, like you know uh, dispensary that I know of or have seen and. They have again. I get their emails. They have like a branded van that like comes to your house. Okay. It's all like, it's like a beautiful mobile dispensary, basically. <laughs> it's wow. like it's it's crazy. But they were so also then, one of the first, and they were you know a, they were a billion dollar company real quick, which is just crazy. What are and, the delivery then, fees like? Like what what's the cost compared no to like an Uber Eats? I don't think. Oh yeah. Fee. Yeah, they're just part of the part of the process. But also, I mean, you got to remember, mar- when you go I to mean, the dispensaries, the there's a markup right? so on the product anyway. Yeah, they don't need to. They don't need to charge. It. I mean, it's in there, right? I mean, it, you know, you're not delivering eight dollar pizzas. I mean, I don't know what's yeah, what's the going rate? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's yeah, a markup. <laughs> Wait, will they also deliver eight dollar pizzas at the same time? Might as well. Well, to that effect, let's talk about that, and that kind of is a good segue. And that's really the Thanks, the. Well, and that's how you know GoPuff is exploding, right? I mean, that's basically yeah. what are they doing? They're they're delivering Slurpees, basically, right? And who's their customer? The guy that just ordered an eighth of weed from MedMen. Oh, I'm delivering my Slurpee too, GoPuff, and a bag of Cheetos. I mean, <laughs> that's there's a, a good whole, collaboration right before. there. There's a there's a whole. Like, I mean, their name is GoPuff. I mean, come on now. It's what are they trying to do? Uh, and, and they've gotten crazy valuations. And then there's other – there's the gorillas coming out of London that's coming to New York now I saw and, and, and the East Coast. and what It's a convenience store that delivers within 10 minutes. You know, who is that really geared towards? I mean, you know, it's not geared towards my wife who's looking to order Whole Foods right now, right, to be delivered. <laughs> it's geared towards the guy sitting on his couch who just took a bong hit and wants his Cheetos. Can't I mean, really drive. <laughs> right, exactly. That would be an amazing collaboration. I'm just saying, like, putting that out in the universe for them to uh, work together. Right, and we've talked internally, like, I don't know if Kyle's still here, but Kyle represents their brand Chiba Hut that has all that, you know, marijuana kind of branded. Nothing has cannabis in it, but it's all, like, you know, weed-named, like, hamburgers and things. You know, to go right next to a dispensary, it just kind of like goes hand in hand. And I think there's going to be a whole sub economy that's going to live off of the legal marijuana business. 
just it's it's just like when you have a bar and you get a guy that sells fried chicken next door. It just makes sense. Or a pizzeria, a ninety nine cent pizza next to the local dive bar. I mean, it it just works. It does. And the reason that I asked you about your experience. Oh, sorry, Justin. I was just going to say the reason I asked no, about the delivery fees is because when I was in California a few months ago, I was doing market research. I was in South California. Um, and there was delivery fees on it. Like it was like $5 to get delivered or $6 to get delivered on top of the order, which I thought was odd. That's why I asked in the first place. Yeah. Sorry, Justin, go ahead. So you know more than me. I, I wasn't <laughs> doing that R&D yet. I, the only R&D that I did was I went into the stores to check them out. And they're beautiful stores. <laughs> the Mad Men's are actually really nice. There's one, I was uh, looking at the one in West Palm Beach yesterday. And it looks, I swear, like the best boutique. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like an Apple store. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it's yeah, that's like a better store. description. Yeah, yeah. It's clean, it's bright, it's white, it's nice. It's like stainless steel and stuff. I have chrome and stuff everywhere. It's very nice. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'll spend a hundred bucks. And they sell iPods. <laughs> what was that, Justin? So I said they sell iPods. I thought I was being... Yes, iPods. <laughs> exactly right. So something that I've experienced, I don't know if anyone else has, has had this experience, but when I order like DoorDash, for instance, if I'm sitting in my office, a little uh, thing comes up after the order that says, um, you know, would you like to add 7-Eleven to your order? And it's basically gives me the opportunity within a 10 minute window after my order to tack on anything I want from 7-Eleven, a soda, chips, whatever. And I, I envision the same kind of thing happening now, whether it's 7-Eleven, whether it's GoPuff or any of those things, but you know, you're already sort of getting your delivery. They're already in route and the ability to tack on, you know, food, snacks, beverages, whatever, um, would be super easy through whatever <laughs> next to no effort. Uh, and they don't even need to, you know, obviously have that. They can have just a relationship with a third party vendor. So yeah for sure I mean, the, the way to yeah the upsell is is pretty easy yeah like that russell was was talking about um uh, you know a lot of things that go naturally um yeah together and then you know just uh yeah i wonder the you know the challenge still even with delivery you know payment is is challenging still uh, you know getting the banking relationships is a big problem i'm not sure what the larger ones are doing you know how they're how they're doing it um but it's you know for anybody with particularly with you know multi-state ambitions i would you know it's not a small thing to to figure that out because you really have to go yeah i don't state. i remember when i was at MedMen and I asked, I'm like, is it cash only? And they took a card. Now, I don't remember if it was a debit card or if they like took my Amex. I don't remember. Um, I know they had Apple Pay, that's for sure. Um, but I can't remember. It was a while ago. that we, I was there it was like at least two years ago. But I, I believe they take a card. And then I know the dispensary in Vegas I went to, the way they mitigated it was you were able to buy a card. So you could use your credit card to buy – basically a gift card gift card the, okay yeah and then you could use the gift card to pay for the cannabis which i thought was a really interesting way of handling it yeah it's clever actually that's actually very clever and then yeah some, i think justin had mentioned earlier um 
the you know another avenue as things go forward is you know is the crypto avenue um uh, that's actually a really good avenue for the dispensaries uh you know if they the just the issue is more just adoption by the you know by the users to you know to have a a, a way to to purchase with with crypto you know it takes more effort um to do that but that also solves the you know the problem uh you know, to a large degree. It's it's interesting though with paying for things with crypto because the value of crypto in an instant is not the same. It's obviously still super volatile. So I've been thinking a lot about it, or it's or, actually or, not. So it depends what you're using. So one of the things that's that is growing rapidly is something called stable coins to solve exactly that problem. So the thing to think about is that there's lots of different kinds of crypto, right? So there's ones that are very volatile, um, but think about it more from the perspective, instead of calling it crypto, it's called it digital currency. So really what the, you know, what the dispensaries need is, you know, it's to take digital currency um, and there's stable, they're called stable coins that are pegged to, you know, the US dollar or to other things that are very stable. And so the value is consistent and, um, but it has all the, you know, the usability benefits of, of crypto or, you know, of, a, of digital money. Um, so you can, you know, pay in, you know, in digital currency and then the dispensary can then turn that into whatever other currency or into fiat, you know, whatever they want to do. So, uh, but again, these are not easy things. Most people don't know about them. You know, there's a ways to go, but that is definitely where things are heading. I mean, the U.S. is talking about, yeah, you know, whether or not it should have a central bank digital currency. I didn't realize that. Whole another conversation. Yeah, but that doesn't <laughs> the whole no. purpose, right? So, so the the uh, how you can pay in Connecticut at the medical dispensary, uh, you can use a debit card in cash, but you can't use credit cards. And uh, I mean, just looking it up quick, it says it's because of the uh, credit card merchants. Interesting. No, because most of them are multi-state, and so that gets into federal rules, and then they can't take your business because they uh, it'll be considered illegal. And that's why most wow. banks can't take your business. You can only bank with a bank that is in only in the one state that you're in. If they're in multiple states, you get in, you then become subject to federal law, and they can't do it. Right, it's and still I don't, illegal. I don't know if we talked about this, but. Um, when these guys were looking for real estate, going back to the original conversations, they could not lease in a building that had, you know, a mortgage related to, That's right. you know, a federal lender. Right. Correct. Well, not even, yeah, any, a lender who, again, is in, operates in multiple yeah. states. Now, that one's interesting. Um, the, a lot of landlords still don't think about that. And there's probably a lot of leases out there that have financing on the building that these are in that just nobody really thought about it. Cause that's sort of a next level kind of, uh, you know, liability that isn't, you know, definitely is not obvious when you first think about it, but, uh, and, and the liability is also, it's, I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't believe it's sort of been proven to be li li a liability. I, I think it's more that it's, it's suspected or, you know, it, it could be 
a liability. I well, the, that's interesting because the so the deal I'm working on right now with them, uh, with the, one of their Vireo, one of the brands, is the first thing they asked, you know, what's the rent, what's available, and then the next thing was, does the owner have any debt on the property? And does he have a mortgage? Uh, find out because if they do, we probably can't do the deal. So they don't. So it works. Um, but I guess that's the, I guess the, the more yeah, it starts to become like a needle in a haystack, right? Exactly. Well, and and that and that's I'm saying like on the landlord side, like on the on the dispensary side, like I think they're all probably pretty aware of it. And it sounds like you know your client and the ones that are you know, doing a you know trying to do this kind of by the book are being proactive to say, you know, we're not going to get into yeah, that situation. We know better. We know it's probably an issue. So we're, we're just going to avoid it and not, you know, not pretend like, you know, it doesn't. So we've got about 10 minutes left. If there's anybody uh, that's with us that, that wants to comment on this uh, or that has any experience in this that can uh, you know, help us, uh, understand better what's going on uh that would be great um we are at about uh, 9 50 and we'll be we'll be wrapping up and closing the room at uh at 10 o'clock and uh, just a quick reminder you are all listening to this week in retail from saber advisors and uh, this is our weekly 9 a.m on wednesday uh discussion on uh, topics in and around uh the uh business of retail and retail real estate. Hey, Doug, I do have a question for my New York friends. Um, do you know the amount of time that passed before uh, medical was legal until recreational was legal in New York? Russell? Um, I don't know <laughs> that answer. It was, it was. It's been several years. <clears throat> yeah, medical has been around for a while. I mean, even like, you know, just unlimited uses before dispensaries were coming in. But then we've had medical dispensaries for years at this point. Even it's at least five, five years. years, right? Yeah, yeah, I five years. So, and now, you know, I think it's like a two-year lag until the recreational gets to open. That's my understanding. Oh, is that? Mm. It's it's two years before the dispensary. It's a, it takes open. a long time. Yeah, that's everything I keep asking, and there's no real time frame on it. But I, I've been asking around, especially the brokers that are representing the dispensaries. Um, again, the, the, it's still, it's, it's, it's legal to carry it, legal to have it, legal to grow it, legal to consume it. Um, but it's not legal. You can't go into a store and buy it yet, but soon. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Is, does New York have the regulation like Vegas does where you cannot do it in public? It has to be on private property. Um, from what I understand, at least from what I've read, it's you can't consume it any place where you couldn't smoke a cigarette. Um, Interesting. So if it's a no smoking area, like like you're not allowed to technically not allowed to smoke cigarettes in parks in New York, right? Um, oh, I didn't know that. So like technically, no party in the park. No party <laughs> in the park. Uh, but I don't. Again, I don't. I, I don't. I read about. It, I don't remember exactly, but. Obviously, you you know you, I wouldn't be smoking a joint in front of a school, but I, I'm well, pretty right. sure you could do it outside. <laughs> well, right. Let's just say a friend of mine was smoking a joint in front of a Vegas hotel, and it apparently in Nevada you have to be in a private residence to consume. You can't be in public smoking like a. Yeah, I think the Vegas is a little more strict about it. 
definitely. Yeah, Vegas is strict about a lot of things. Yeah, and not nothing except for weed, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this whole like you have to wear pants thing. It's it's a problem. Yeah, oh. no see, no you keep running into problems, don't you? Just? I know it's it's everywhere I go. <laughs> Sorry, the reason I asked that question in the first place is because uh, in Florida it was legalized in uh, 2018 for medical, and it seems like in the 2022 ballot that it might pass for recreational, so it'll be about four years in between. So I was wondering if that was normal, if that was a long time or not. Seems like it's normal. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's... Yeah, it's pretty similar to, I mean, the same restrictions on alcohol, right? You can't walk down the street with an open container. Yeah, stuff like that. I think you would find it at least as restrictive as cigarettes and, and alcohol from where you can consume it. Yes, of course. All these rules. <laughs> yes, when you take your drugs, you have to follow some rules. <laughs> so this has been a great conversation From the animals. Yes, right. <laughs> We're kind of weird here. I think we can do it in Arkansas. Say we like I, I part of it. Um, but um, in Arkansas, you can do it. So we've got this clean indoor act. Um, I'm sure, like most other people do by now, where you can't smoke or do anything inside of uh, buildings. Um, but as long as you're not in any kind of government area or any kind of building that is a part of this clean indoor act. Um, you can smoke it outside as long as you have your card. So, yeah, but also what's interesting is they've now set up like, you know, smoking lounges. Like, I know there's one that's called the Astor Club that's been around for a while. It's, it's out there, it's been in the New York Times. They have a very active Instagram account, and, you know, people are just in there smoking pot and they don't <laughs> get in trouble. So, I, is it like a cigar bar? It's like a yeah, it's kind of like a cigar room, but it's all cannabis. Interesting. So it's like a whole lounge. It's a lounge. There's TVs. It's called oh yeah, Astro, I mean, that's, that's like yeah. a no-brainer. That's crazy. It makes a ton of sense. So you can't even you can't do any of that stuff here in Arkansas. Like I know years ago, like whenever you go to a bar or whatever. You know, a lot of people like to have a cigarette and a drink. Well, you can't even do that here. If you're going to have a drink and you want a cigarette, you've got to go outside. Yeah. Same in Florida. Yeah. And that's like with the cigar bars, you can't have those here because you can't smoke indoors. Oh, we do have those. They're like special allowed or something. All right. Well, uh, anybody else have anything to uh, say before we wrap this up today? I'll tell you if you like numbers today, seven twenty one twenty one. So I don't know what that means, but a lot of nice symmetry there. So enjoy <laughs> that. Are we all going to Vegas? Yeah. To Planet sure. Thirteen. <laughs> sure. Why not? We're, we were talking about ownership groups earlier. If you guys want to get a laugh out of some of these ownership groups, or just kind of a what the heck, look up some of these ownership groups of these uh, people that own either dispensaries or these these grow facilities. Maybe it's more eye-opening to me because it's rural Arkansas, but big-time lawyers, big-time accountants, former senators, former government officials on them here in Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, look, it's yeah, now it's it's legal and it's big-time money, so yeah, the morality is yeah that they may have around it. Is, yeah, put that aside.
and go get that money. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, Garrett, thanks for everything. You've, uh, you've been a great contributor here today. Um, so I think we can close this out. Uh, it is just about 10 o'clock. I want to thank everybody for joining us today on This Week in Retail, presented by Sabre Advisors and the CRE Club. Uh, we do this every Wednesday. We will be back here next Wednesday at 9. Also be sure to uh, join us, I think, Friday at 10 o'clock for uh, CRE Wired, uh, also uh, sponsored by the CRE Club. And uh, go, uh, go check it out uh, if you missed anything, uh, if you want to pass it on to, uh, to somebody else in uh, the Sabre Audio Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Uh, Justin, Russell, Natalie, Garrett, thank you all for uh, joining thank you. today. And uh, we will speak to you all next week. Everybody have a great day. Thank you. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye, Bye. guys.